0: Hello and welcome to the March instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month, we are looking at the best-selling author Luann Rice's pacey thriller, *The Shadow Box*. This book jumps before and after the day artist Claire Chase was brutally attacked to explain just what happened to her. Claire survives before going into hiding and has her suspicions on who her attacker likely was, her admired husband and state attorney Griffin Chase, who is also running for governor. On the day of Claire's attack, she was about to launch a shadow box at her art exhibition, inspired by an unforgivable act she was convinced her husband was responsible for years ago. On that same day, one of Claire's neighbours also horrifically died. Throughout this novel, as both investigations unfold, we learn exactly how the incidents overlap and the extent of Griffin Chase's power over the circle that surrounds him. So, did Rice's thriller keep us on our toes? And were we satisfied with the ending? Just keep listening to find out! (laughs) Today, I am joined by my co-hosts Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Yo, yo, yo! Hi, Annabelle Clickbait Lee! That's my name! (laughs) Definitely, that's definitely my official middle name. (laughs) Guys, as always, let's start with the author Luann Rice. So, she's written a bunch of books already, 35 in fact. So, let's talk about the hype leading up to the release of this book. Zara, did yes. you know much <laughs> about Luann Rice before reading The Shadow Box?
1: No, I'd never heard of her. I'm not sure about you guys, which sounds ridiculous because if you've written over 30 novels, I mean, she's obviously very good at her job. I read a stat that was published in 2014, but It said that she had 22 consecutive New York Times bestsellers, which is just insane. imagine that. Yeah, so her books clearly sell very well. I just don't know if they are necessarily hitting the shores of Australia as much as they are really successful in America. Yeah,
2: I think it's that. I think it's also coupled with the fact that no one sitting at this table right now likes crime books anyway, so I feel like I'm not really well-versed with the top crime writers of the moment. I do want to say she wrote a book basically every single year since 1985 However, in the years 2001 and 2004, she published three books in those years each. So within two years, that's six novels.
0: How the fuck does that happen? It must be like a muscle that she can just punch this stuff out. What a skill. Well, she did write her first poem at the age of 11, which was published, which is impressive. Publishing a proper poem. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I wonder if anyone's read all of these books and kind of feels like, Some of them have the same themes because I was interested to read that Luann Rice was born in Connecticut, where this book was based. She's also an avid environmentalist, which was definitely a theme throughout the Shadow Box. She's also an advocate for families affected by domestic violence. So I was like, okay, so we know that about her. All of those themes are very prominent in the Shadow Box. I wonder if all of her books. similar? I wonder if there's huge differences between them. I need
0: to find a Luanne Rice fan to tell me. Well, I did read that she actually writes a lot based on her own life. For example, the hockey player in her book Summer Light was inspired by her stepson. And she also said that her book Angels Over Town, which revolved around the life of three sisters, is because she is one of three sisters. Even the mention that she has a stepson. The main
1: character, Claire, had stepchildren in this as well. I mean, I think if you're adding 30 plus books, you're probably going to be pulling her up from the people in your life. I think what I found most interesting in my research about Luanne Rice is she actually is a domestic violence survivor herself. And so she wanted to write, she said in this book, a really kind of nuanced and accurate portrayal of what it's like to be in a relationship like that. She told Forbes, I never thought it would happen to me, but it did. I used to think that domestic violence was really only if a person was physically abused, if there were bruises and broken bones. I learned that psychological abuse is just as bad, in some ways even worse, because it attacks the very core of who a person is. So she's obviously very invested in this storyline and for great reason. And I think we'll obviously delve into how she pulled that plot part off. Plot part? That plot a
2: thing? part. Sure. Plot point. <laughs> plot point. <laughs> of alliteration going on. <laughs> I do want to ask you guys, I have read Where the Crawdads Sing. I've also read Big Little Lies. I feel like this book was a really interesting intersection of both. Those who've read Where the Crawdads Sing would know that that is very much focused on nature, the earth, Living with the land, which was absolutely a theme in this book. Big Little Lies had that very affluent coastal town killing murder mystery vibe as well. I truly felt like this was kind of, if we had a Venn diagram, this sat perfectly
1: in the middle. Have you guys read either of those books or both? Nope, because
0: they're slightly scary <laughs> and <I laughs> you really
1: try and keep away
0: from books like you that. You really
1: do avoid them, don't you? I've read Big Little Lies and I I totally agree with the whole like American beachside town. I mean, even though the television show was American and the book was Australian, I can see that kind of wealthy beachside mm. town vibe. I mean, the one other thing that I wanted to point out as well, when we're talking about Luanne Rice pulling on her own life, is that her mum was actually an artist as well. Also, wow. she did an interview with this um, this magazine called, I think it was No Apologies Book Reviews, which is like <laughs> the most stressful so kind of book review website name ever for a writer. Anyway, She also said in that interview and in the interview with Forbes that there was also a death in Connecticut of a woman that she was really moved by called Jennifer Dulos. And at the time that she was giving the interview, Jennifer was presumed dead and her husband was arrested for the murder. And she said just watching this stuff as well unfold in a place that she grew up. I think it kind of happened maybe just after the book, but I can think it gave her even greater reason and sort of greater investment in the story she was telling mm. at this point I'm sure Luanne Rice could see like a leaf floating down
2: the
0: page and be like that is a book idea <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> incredible that she's had so many ideas though
0: isn't she just the best word Smith <laughs> we say that about all authors on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right guys next up we're going to talk about what we loved about this book we've got a voicemail from Rebecca actually before we dive in here it is Hey guys, just a super quick one. I just wanted to call in and say that I absolutely loved this month's book pick, Shadow Box. It was such an entertaining read for me and I finished it in one day, which is insane for me. And I will definitely be recommending this to all of my friends because we all love thriller books. Thanks so much. So guys, I sped through this book. It took me like two days to read it I think Mm. the fastest I've read any book which I also say quite a lot so it must mean though that there was a lot that I loved about this book let's start with you Mish what were the parts that you enjoyed about this book
2: well I was the same as you Annabelle I am a classic crammer with a lot of these books for book club it's not that I don't enjoy the books I just cram everything into my life (laughs) it's I'm fast and loose it's how I've always operated and part of me was like oh I wonder how I'm gonna go getting this book done this week I've only got seven days to read it I got it done I think I read 250 pages in a row on the first day. So I think, first of all, that is a testament to Luann Rice's writing, her storytelling, the way she structured this story. I found it to be the definition of a page turner, particularly the first three quarters. However, it was the next part that troubled me. I know we'll get to that a little bit later. But the first thing I absolutely loved was I felt like she just wove in all of the different viewpoints so seamlessly. And I truly liked hearing the different perspectives. What about you, Zara?
1: Yeah, I'm the same as you. I reckon I sped through the first 85% of this book in like a day. It felt like a soft thriller. Mm. I don't know. It didn't feel too scary. It didn't feel stressful, which I also liked. I can't read or consume anything that kind of keeps me stressed I loved particularly that it didn't feel as much of a who done it like we kind of had a pretty good idea of who had done it I was just far more intrigued as the book went on about who was good and who was bad or who Claire could trust or who she couldn't and how all these people were really connected and that felt like a pretty big spin on the classic thriller mm.
0: I also kind of loved I think this might be an unpopular opinion I've read that people really didn't like the first few pages because it describes the attack very vividly but I liked that that was perhaps the scariest part of the book yeah. and then as I kept reading Reading. It was just more of, a, as you said, Zara, uncovering who did it. And I didn't expect that I would like that we kind of always knew it was Griffin who was the villain. Yeah. I didn't think I would like that, but I did like expecting that the ending would piece it all together. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. And I
2: think the power dynamic, it wasn't so much figuring out who did it. It was like figuring out if she would survive mm. going up against these very, very powerful figures. That was the mystery in and of itself. I will say I think there was all killer, no filler for the first three quarters oh, of right, this book. Mate. Like, she,
1: I didn't, killer, I truly. I truly didn't like all killer, no filler, just a thriller. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my God. Click off the podcast now (laughs) if you're
2: already tired because I hate ourselves more than you could ever hate us. I truly thought that she gave us what we needed. I didn't find myself sometimes with crimey novels, which aren't my favourite, I'll admit. I find myself skimming the pages where I'm like, this is just shit that I don't really care about. It's not very important to the story. It just feels like you're wasting time. I don't think she wasted time in the first half of this book at all. I also read some reviews that readers found it unbelievable that Claire would recover from that very gruesome attack that you just described, Annabelle. A lot of people said, How could a woman who was on the brink of death take herself to like a hut in the middle of the forest and just recover like that within a week? I didn't find that unbelievable. I feel like from blood loss, you can survive without medical intervention. I'd love a doctor. to I'm just looking at all of our blank (laughs) faces being like, I truly don't know. But that didn't strike me as unbelievable. And I want to know about you guys. I genuinely enjoyed the plot line of her escaping
1: to that I don't know, was it a hut? Was it a beach shack? I don't know. I couldn't picture it, which too. is interesting because mm. there I could picture a lot in this book, but that I couldn't picture. I couldn't quite get my head around. Mm. I guess I didn't spend much time thinking about whether it was believable or not. So that must mean that I was like not phased by that storyline. Yeah.
0: yeah. I loved what it said about her strength, like yeah. her character, but I actually didn't believe it because by the end of the book, when other characters were describing how she looked with cuts on her hands and She was a bit bruised. Mm. I was thinking, how is that possible after that huge attack that happened at the start of the book? She just has a few bruises and she's
1: like a little bit battered. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've got some paper cuts on her (laughs) hand. I did think the character of Griffin was well done, like well, I guess, articulated and written. How she wrote about control and rage and abusive relationships was pretty terrifying to read, but I think because it's such a common thing that we experience, particularly in Australia, it's so good to see a nuanced portrayal of it. I mean, there was one line from Claire that I really wanted to read out about the nature of abuse and she wrote or she said but abuse though it can seem to happen all at once is cumulative I was like a lobster in a pot of cold water the temperature being raised bit by bit before I realized I was in danger every apology I made to Griffin chipped away at my soul brought me closer to being boiled alive because I gave up a little more of myself and a little more
2: I took a photo of that page I thought that was so well articulated I also very very much enjoyed and I don't mean enjoyed in the classical sense of the term. I mean, I appreciated the kitchen analogy when he wanted to remodel their kitchen. She wasn't instantly bending down, like praising his feet, super grateful for it. She genuinely liked the old kitchen and wanted to keep it. And he kind of responded with absolute fury and intimidation to her not being grateful enough to him. I felt like I could very much see that scene in my head. I don't know what I thought about the constant mention of his eyes turning black. It felt a little bit sensationalised to me and it definitely got to the point where I'm like, I get it. His eyes turn black. I don't even know if I've ever seen a human
0: capable of that. (laughs) I liked it. I liked when- Connor explained that link to being a psychopath,
1: it really freaked me out. It gave me chills. I'm also a a big baby. Yes. So in this interview that she did with No Apology Book Reviews, who's (laughs) got their second shout out on the podcast today, they did talk about that because I did wonder as I was reading if this is actually a thing and I wanted to try and picture it. I was trying to picture what a man like Griffin would look like if his eyes were turning black. And she said it is possible for a person's eyes to turn black when enraged. The explanation in the book is based on research, including conversations with a psychiatrist. The eyes don't actually change colour, but the pupils completely dilate from extreme arousal and rage, which is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, they said that in the book and it makes so much sense.
0: I actually wanted to Google it when I was reading this to confirm, but then I freaked myself out because I was like, Aww. what if other photos of psychopaths go?
1: <laughs> God, you must really live in this like beautiful la-la land with no <laughs> scariness.
0: <laughs> there wasn't actually much though about the end of this book that I liked, but I did like the relationship or the friendship that formed between Spencer and Claire yeah. and also Jackie when Jackie was involved as well like the strength between those women was really nice to see there were unbelievable parts of it like finding someone on Facebook that
1: happens to be <laughs> the perfect missing puzzle piece <laughs> I know. we're not even meant to be at the part where we're talking about things we don't really like yet but I agree I quite liked Jackie I thought Jackie's yeah, character too. was nice I liked at the end that it wasn't just the women banding together to kind of like outsmart the men or fix all the things that the men do. Like there were good men in this too, like Tom and Connor. And I think that's a really important part of the story that especially in the conversations we're having at the moment in Australian public discourse, violence against women isn't a female problem. Like it's not mm. a women problem, it is a male problem. And having men there, good men who want to make it better and who want to fix it is really important too.
2: I agree with that. I thought Jackie was completely irrelevant to the plotline. I could have done without that character entirely. (laughs) If anything, I felt like, and I know we'll get to this later, but just as a point on Jackie, I loved Spencer. I thought Spencer was an incredible character. I also thought that Spencer's storytelling of the night of the rape in Cancun, I feel like that was perhaps my favourite part of the book in a very weird way. Like I felt like that was so vivid. It was so vivid, wasn't it? And I could just imagine it. Like I could so imagine two young, awful men doing that to two young women and then fleeing the scene and Being protected by the system and being able to go home and kind of pretend nothing ever happened. I could just see it in my head, and I felt like Spencer was so important. Jackie, to me, didn't serve a purpose. I felt like we had the storyline of female friendship in other parts of the book. If anything, I found myself confused. I needed like a family tree or like a, (laughs) a, a mind map. Honestly, on the first page, I know that other writers have done that before, where there are a lot of characters that you need to be across. I found myself confused and characters like Jackie didn't add anything for me. They just made me spend more time in my head being like, who is this person and are they married to Tom? So Tom's Connor's brother and it was just like this whole clusterfuck.
1: No, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think I like Jackie because she seemed nice, not because she's served a purpose. <laughs> I was, was like, just normal. Yeah, like she pretty... seems like a nice, normal yeah. person, but she absolutely didn't need to be in the book. Like there is no denying that. I mean, I had this written down for the next segment, but there just seems to be so much overlap between everything right now. There were absolutely... Far too many characters. Yes. I could not keep track of who was who. And as you say, it would have been nice if there was a mind map. It made me think of the conversation that we had around Daisy Jones and the Six, because I remember when we came onto the mics to talk about that book and there were heaps of main characters, we were like, it actually didn't feel like. There was that many, and I think Mm. it's a testament to how well that book was written and the style that it was written that you got to know the characters. Whereas in this book, characters like Jackie, characters like Sloane, Edward. Jen Miano. Jen Miano. (laughs) Jen Miano
2: (laughs) didn't need to be there either. um,
1: Someone's stepdaughter, Tom's stepdaughter, Jackie's daughter, who randomly was a police officer. Oh, yeah, uh, I don't know. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's just like these people didn't need to be introduced.
0: It just meant that as readers we were expecting all these ties to be tied up at the end because they kept introducing new characters characters and new plot lines so I was really excited for the ending like I was like Luanne Rice is gonna masterfully pull this all together and it didn't really happen and I think it was because of the introduction of all these characters.
2: It's also a shame because it takes the reader out of the book. Like it truly, when I feel confused about who's even in the plot anymore, what characters I'm looking at, it takes me out of the experience. And all of a sudden I'm going, wait, did Luanne Rice explain that to me earlier? Have I missed something? And it reminds you, oh, this is an author writing a book, which I know sounds really obvious. But as a reader, I just want to be focusing on the plot, focusing on the story. And when you have too many characters, it completely distracts from that really intimate relationship that a reader has with a plot.
1: Yeah. I just want to, say one thing more that I liked before we really move on, because I think one thing that I found really believable was the lengths to which really powerful and wealthy people would go to protect their own interests. And maybe, you know, it's not to the extremity that they went, <laughs> but maybe to like 70% of what they've done. Like there were so many people in on this whole governor push. And that to me spoke volumes about how far powerful people will go to protect their own power.
2: I completely agree with that. I think she was almost masterful in the way she illustrated power throughout the novel and like how that was embedded in every page. Can I make one confession before we move on? Yes, of course. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> obviously good.
2: I got confused and I thought that Sloane and Edward Hawke were elderly people.
0: No.
2: <laughs> I wow. got them confused very early on with Wade and Leonara Lockwood. And so when I was reading this affair storyline, I was like, oh, wow, (laughs) she's really going for the older man. And (laughs) still got it. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, why is no one talking about like, how strange, like she's being pursued by a 20 year old and like a 70 something year old. And it wasn't until I got to the point where like something very banal, like what Sloane was wearing or something was brought up. I had to go all the way back to like page 20, like wait a
1: second, these people are middle-aged and I have completely screwed this up. That is very funny. I feel like in the next segment, I will have a few of those things where I'm like, I was a bit confused about that. But just one more point quickly, because you were saying how there was a little bit of back and forth, like trying to work out which character was who, trying to go back to the, where they were initially placed in the book. I started this on a Kindle which was really hard. And the minute our hard copy arrived, I was like, fuck it, I'm going straight to this because for this book, you needed it to be a hard copy so you could go back and forth. A literal page turner.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And page reversal.
0: (laughs) Coming up after the break, we talk about the parts of the book we didn't quite like. But first, a word from today's sponsor.
1: Hi, guys. Just calling about Shadowbox. I found it amazing to read. It was,
0: you know, obviously very thrilling and motivating. What I did find frustrating was the story behind his ex-wife. We were just never given a resolution to. I don't believe that she was a drunk that abandoned her kids. There was no reason to believe anything he said, really. And I kind of was waiting for the penny to drop and for there to be some sort of acknowledgement that, hey, no, that's not what happened. Here she is and this is why she was forced to leave her kids behind. Jade, you're onto something. Who is Margot? <laughs> yes. Honestly, I actually thought that Spencer was going to be Margot. Online Spencer was Margot.
2: Ah. I thought the same. I thought that would have made sense that Margot could come into the fold and be like, I was drinking so much or I was abusing substances because he was drugging me or because he pushed me to that point or because he – Represented me to the public in that way when that wasn't the reality. Like that storyline with Margot choosing to abandon her own sons and then never meeting her, never giving her a spot to speak felt so weird. I was so waiting for Luann Rice to bring her back into the fold. But even at the end when it would kind of had that sisterhood vibe and like we overcame these awful men, her name wasn't even mentioned. Yeah. It was always like these are all the women who have been poorly done by
1: by Griffin and Margot was never brought into it. It's so funny you both thought that Spencer was Margot because that thought didn't cross my mind and it's a very <laughs> clever one so well props to you both. You. Margot was completely unexplored to me and what I really thought was going to happen is that she would come back into the book at the very end and be some like incredible, clever, really like charismatic character who was like able to really carefully and really cleverly articulate what griffin had done to her and why he kind of portrayed her in the way that he did and that just never happened so i kind of wondered again what the point was the question marks
0: around the margot situation is just one of the question marks that i <laughs> yeah. had in this section in my notes i just have a bunch of questions yeah. <laughs> so i hope you guys can answer them
1: for me i don't know if i will either one of
0: them was the boat like i understand that dan was supposed to die he was supposed to be murdered. Yeah. I just don't understand the surroundings of that incident. Like, I can't picture the merman and the mermaid saving the children. Oh, my God. (laughs) As
2: soon as the word
1: merman came into this, I was like, Luanne, don't do it. You're starting to lose me. Yeah, don't do it. No, honestly, I have to agree with you about the boat. I turned to you both after we'd read the book and I was like I'm so confused about how Sally died I'm so confused about how this boat blew up it lacked complete fleshing out
2: yeah I agree with you both that I don't think it was articulated as clearly as it could have been but my takeaway was the boat was a freak accident yes there was an issue with the boat there was an oil leak Sally was never supposed to die that was just a freak coincidence (gasps) to happen on the same day then
1: why have two storylines working parallel because Do you know what I mean?
2: I understand that, but I guess you needed the storyline of Alexander and his girlfriend following them in that black nah, boat. And just... then they
1: had the plan to shoot Dan in the head when they got off the boat to dock. Part of me thinks that whole side of the book, that half of the book, didn't need to be there then Agreed. with that ending. Yeah,
2: Agreed. I almost agree. I also feel like, and I don't know if this is kind of just tugging at semantics now or if this doesn't matter, but to me it does. So Realistically, like I think a crime novel has to have some kind of realistic element to it. We have to imagine this could actually happen. They often push that boundary, but it has to kind of be like blurry where you're like maybe in a distant universe (laughs) this could happen. I don't find it believable whatsoever on any grounds that a future governor would think the person he wants to kill his threat would be his son. Isn't that the most risky choice for a governor to be like, yes, son, go murder that man for me. That's what I'll have done. Like, if you're that wealthy, that powerful, hire a hitman, hire someone to do it for you. Like, I don't want to organise a murder on behalf (laughs) of Griffin, but that did not make sense to me that you would get your own son and you would take that risk if you are supposedly so concerned about your reputation.
0: I kind of understand it though because a whole part of Griffin's personality was you need to be on my side and you need to do anything to prove that you're on my side. Maybe
1: if you're a mafia boss but if you're going for like politics wouldn't you be more strategic than that? I don't think that he's proven to be a very kind of you know logical (laughs) character. He also is someone obsessed with power control and violence so it's not out of the realm of possibility for me I mean it's funny that this was the big issue you had (laughs) with realism I have many to be honest I mean it did make me wonder how realistic a thriller does need to be as you said Mish like by definition they aren't the kinds of stories that we necessarily want to relate to because we don't want any of this shit happening to us but I think it needs to be relatable when it comes to the resolution like the resolution needs to have some sort of element of realism and the merman or the merman Mm -hmm. I was so confused by it. I felt like it was explained terribly. And I think if you're going to reference a picture so much that Gwen drew, put the picture in the book.
0: I also wonder how old was Gwen supposed to be? Because how could she not tell the difference between mer people? And regular people swimming in a a river, I mean, swimming in an ocean. She was
2: nine, I think. I think she was nine and her little brother, Charlie, was seven. That was what I gleaned anyway. And it would be interesting. I mean, I don't know many nine-year-olds. So it would be interesting to kind of have a chat and be like, do you understand that we're not under the sea?
1: (laughs) I mean, also maybe there might be an element of trauma here for her where she's kind of not communicating in a normal way. But I was so confused about the ending that I almost felt embarrassed about how little I understood about the ending. Like... (laughs) I was sitting there being like, I reckon I read the last few pages three times. Yeah. And I, you guys hadn't finished the book yet. So I was like waiting, being like, I cannot believe it's been tied up like this. And when I say tied up like this, it's the loosest knot I've ever kind of come across <laughs> in my life.
0: I kept having to stop and like close my eyes and try and picture it <laughs> happening because I just didn't understand. And that's not what you want as a reader. It's supposed to be easier than that.
2: Yeah. So maybe we start with Dan. So Dan was murdered. Was he? I kind of thought he shot himself. I'm so no. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> shot himself and then what? Fills the himself. hole in above himself. I clearly no.
1: tapped out by this point.
2: Okay, you missed that. So Ford murdered Dan, the yeah. other child of Griffin. It's going to me. him. So. It was never the plan for Sally, the yes. interior designer, to die. That part, freak accident. Dan was always public enemy number one, along with Claire, because they were the two people who knew the true I story. I love how you're looking at me with the plot. I did understand that part. Thank you. <laughs> but no, I'm trying to even explain it to right. myself. Like I'm trying to put it in front of myself to be like, this is what happened and why. Yeah. So Dan gets murdered because he was always the person that was supposed to be murdered because they were worried about Dan speaking out and is that why Dan stopped going to the last
1: Monday club? It still didn't really make any sense to me that they were worried about Dan speaking because as the point was made in the book, if Dan speaks out about Griffin, he's got to speak out about himself. Yeah, that felt weird to me. Which made me wonder why Ellen had to die because
0: she knew about it and was there on the night. So if anything, that makes her complicit. Yeah, well, Ellen wasn't really like... Ellen turned away, like knew that these girls went missing that and a, also turned
1: her back. That was also a bit weird to me that she wasn't made out to be someone... Screaming on the beach, asking Griffin what the hell he did. It's just not believable to me that you'd watch your partner do something like that.
2: Yeah. And then when it came to Dan, you know when they had the... I read, I need to read this bit out. When Connor was going through Dan's office and he found the note that Dan had written about Claire's... Plot yes. The plot to kill
1: Claire. Also, uh, in what world? I'm so sorry. <laughs> is there a, a note that kind of perfectly articulates yes. it with with the right sort of um? Kill Claire. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay. As if you're going to use just acronyms for yeah, each I person. Know. Like, how fucking stupid do you have to and be? And who puts it in writing like this? Yes. So exhibit starts at five. GC accounted for all afternoon. Will be at gallery by five. <laughs> CBC four to four thirty optimal. Site prepared in advance. And disposal must be completed by seven. Investigation will have started at CB by then. How many brain cells must you have to think this is what you do when you're trying to kill someone? And does this tell us that Dan was in on the plot to kill Claire? Or was, was Dan cottoning on to their plan and writing it down so he could keep track and tell someone? Or was it planted in his office to make him look like the murderer? I have no
1: idea and I think that's an annoying part is that part was never fleshed out. Ever. And I feel like my most common words used right now are fleshed out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So maybe. Because in my mind I had a question about why Dan and Claire had to be murdered on the same day. Because from a murderer's perspective, (laughs) I hate to put myself in this perspective, (laughs) but why would you kill two people on the same day? Wouldn't that just make it clearer to join up the dots and know who... And in such cold blood as well. Like it's not like, oh,
2: he fell into the water and died he has a bullet in his brain with the original plan and she's been massacred
1: but i think also the point is that they have so much power that they really didn't care like they didn't care that those things might be linked they honestly thought they were going to get over it i mean can we talk about nate bit random, but can <laughs> it, the ending the last page get fucked where they're suddenly arm in arm telling each other they love each other? Oh if I was Nate, I'd be so pissed off <laughs> yeah. that my wife left me for someone else. Granted, she was treated absolutely terribly in that abusive relationship. And then suddenly turns around and be like, oh, y- you were kind of what I wanted all along.
2: But also like an hour after sending him an yes, email,
1: accusing him yeah. of being
2: one of the people who orchestrated her potential murder.
1: The most unnecessary hurdle ever that Nate was suddenly framed as a bad guy for f- all of 30 seconds. If I was editing this book, if I was Luann Rice, that would
2: absolutely be the first minor plot line where I'm like, Well, we don't know this bizarre shit about Nate being in yeah. on it, like, because books are on the bookshelf in the house. The way the mental leaps occurred in that part was she's like, How dare you? I never thought you'd be the one to do this. I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa what have I missed? Like, am I on another planet? Because how is Nate now involved? And then Nate wasn't involved. And it just felt like wasting time.
1: It felt a lot like around that part when Raven's Clegg or Craig or whatever it's called, (laughs) honestly, started to be introduced was when I started to feel less immersed in the story. Like the whole time of the story, I was in it. I felt in the story. And then I got to that point and I felt like an outsider watching on being like, I actually can't fathom what's going on here. I still have no idea why Charlie was kidnapped. Like, why was he kidnapped? Why was was he in that house? (laughs) Why was he kidnapped? I have no idea.
2: We don't know why he was kidnapped. What were they planning on doing? Just like raising Charlie down the road?
1: Yeah, and Charlie's never going to turn around and be like, actually. Who am I? Yes. (laughs) I was on a boat one day. My parents aren't here and I don't know where my sister is. Like, that made no sense to me. Also, how did (laughs) Ellen get killed? I
2: know she was found in the water. I think pushed. Where and by who? We never got details on that. It was just
0: like, oh, he he sorted her out one, once they got back. Maybe one of the club members. Like,
2: I understand yeah. we're kind of shrugging our shoulders being like, oh, someone probably pushed it's her. Just, I
1: would like to know. It's just that on the list of things I didn't understand, that wasn't as high. So I have like a pretty low Baha right now. That night, though, that
0: you mentioned earlier on in this episode, the night where they described what happened in Cancun, I was confused by that. I felt like there were a lot of question marks there. Like, Why? what was the connection between Griff and Dan some 20 years ago the writing implied that there was some weird like class dynamic there that Dan was maybe looking up to Griff or which is like so why
2: did Dan come into it it never seemed like they were that close of friends were they family
0: friends their mums were friends but
2: then why would Dan be the number one I don't
1: know (laughs) (laughs) like we're not bad at reading books I would say I was terrible at reading this one I don't understand. this is gonna be the funniest book club episode ever for people listening because they'll be like either they're on the same page as us or They They think we're
2: idiots. Idiots,
1: (laughs) but that's not our fault. But it's also such a shame because I literally read 250 pages. I got
2: into work the next day and said to Zara, this book is incredible. I'm loving it. I would almost give it a 10 out of 10. So to sit here now and speak about it with you both having read the final, what, 90 pages or whatever and think, I don't know. Like, I'm so confused. This felt like a fever dream in the last few chapters. It's a shame because this could have been... One of my favorite books. And I legitimately mean that. Apart from the weird mountain lion mentions, which I also <laughs> <dumb and>
1: <laughs> The Mountain Lion. I was like, that's just like simply not real. It spooked <laughs> me out. Yeah. I know.
2: But like what a shame. This could yeah. have been so, so brilliant. And I truly did enjoy 80% of the process. The final 20, I was so confused. I didn't know what was up and what was down. So then, Michelle, what would you rate it? Let's talk ratings. Mm, so this hard. is such a hard one. Because honestly, first 80%, I'd give it a 9.5. Second part, though, I'd give it like a 2.
1: Yes, I'm exactly the same as you. I was going to say 9 and then 2. And then do I have to average them What's out? What's the average? Something? Oh, God. be The average is like 5.5. I think I'd give it a 6.
2: I want to give it a 6 because I feel like, Although I have all these questions, I've really enjoyed talking about it with yeah. you both. And I feel like if you've read this with a friend or if you read this for the Shameless Book Club, you get enjoyment out of it because it's kind of like, what is our shared experience here? <laughs> Are we all confuses each other? So as far as the book club goes, I'll give it a 6 to a 6.5 because there's a lot to discuss.
1: And I enjoyed the vast majority of this. Pick a number. Is it 6 or 6.5? I'm going to go 6. 6.5. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a 6 for the, exactly the same reasons as Mish said, like 9 for the start, 2 for the ending, settle on 6 somehow. Don't don't make me explain it. But I agree with you. It reminds me a bit of when we did A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing and I really didn't enjoy the experience of reading that, but I loved the experience of talking about it, which is why I love Book Club, because you don't actually have to love the experience of reading it to enjoy the entire experience.
0: I'm going to give it a seven just because I base a lot of whether I like a book or not on its readability. Yeah. I hate the feeling of starting a book or being like halfway through a book and just wanting to give up. And I didn't have that for this. I liked that I was always wanting to know how it ended. And even though the ending was very unsatisfying, a seven seems nice and generous (laughs) enough. so. It never felt like a chore. This never felt like a chore. I enjoyed it the whole way through. Good job,
2: Luanne Rice. I wish you could have another go at this ending. Yeah, I could give her another go. Get rid of the mermen, the gargoyles, the weird Latin language that was brought in. I feel like we
1: started to enter into Harry Potter. I actually (laughs) took myself to Hogwarts when they were in that big house. Anyway, I reckon that might be all we've got time
0: for. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this book club episode of Shameless. Next month, we will be reading It Ends With Us by number one New York Times bestselling author, Colleen Hoover. This book is a romance novel, which we love here at Shameless. <laughs> that centres around a love triangle between college graduate Lily, her new Dr. Love Ryle, and Old Flame Atlas. It has Atlas. A, <laughs> It has a 4.4 on Goodreads with over 200,000 votes. We cannot wait to get stuck into Colleen Hoover's newest novel. That we can't. Guys, if you want to chat all
2: about the shadow box before we get to next month, please jump into our book club. We are on Facebook, Shameless Book Club. We're also on Instagram, The Shameless Book Club. Come and talk to us. I genuinely want to hear, do you have answers to the questions we posited in this episode or do you want to just feel as confused as we do?
1: Yeah, please come and let us know. That is on Instagram at the Shameless Book Club or on Facebook at Shameless Book Club. See you guys. Well, Mission Arm will be back in your ears on Monday and the rest of us will be back in about a month. (laughs) See you then. (laughs) Bye. Bye.